Good morning. It's nice to see all of you this morning. If you have a Bible, would you please join me in 1 Timothy chapter 3? And if you don't have a Bible, we would love to get one into your hands. And if you'd like to have one, please raise your hand. We'll get it to you eventually. And please feel free to keep this Bible if you'd like to, or keep it and give it away to somebody else. Keep it and read it with someone else. But when you get that Bible, raise your hand high. We'll get it to you, 1 Timothy 3. While you're turning there, uh, uh, one item I want to draw your attention to. Uh, Thanks to Christian Cunningham for all the load that he shouldered last week when the men were away at the men's retreat. Uh, Very thankful for that young brother and the Lord's faithfulness to us through him. You know, the men's retreat was a very significant time, I think, in the life of our church. And it was a very fruitful time. Driving home with some brothers, uh, we're talking about takeaways that we had from the retreat. And I would say that of the many excellent things that took place, what struck me most was the singing. The, the men were singing so loud that we could not hear ourselves sing, which is good on the one hand. But then on the other hand, it, it was just the overflow of these men's hearts praising the Father for sending the Son who together sent the Spirit. And so thank you for praying for us. It was an excellent time. Pray that the Lord bears fruit from it. Well, before we jump into the text, before I read the first few verses from 1 Timothy 3, 8 and following, we as a church family are in a series called Ecclesia, Features of a Faithful Church. This is a doctrinal series. We are opening the Bible and we're pulling out the diamond of what the Bible teaches regarding a local church, and all the different facets on that diamond we're turning over to see those components of what Jesus wants for the bride that he died for, the body that is his, the temple that he is building, the local church. And we have seen over the weeks in this series that churches can exist on a spectrum of health. You can have true churches and false churches based on whether they have the gospel, but true churches that have the gospel can have varying degrees of attentiveness to what the Bible teaches about how we do life together, how we organize ourselves, what are we supposed to do when we gather on Sundays, and more. And so we have been working through 13 weeks now different facets of the local church. And this morning, we turn our attention to a key feature of a faithful church, and that is biblical deacons. Biblical deacons. And so we're going to be in two texts this morning. 1 Timothy 3 and Acts chapter 6. I'm going to read 1 Timothy 3 verses 8 through 10 to set God's word before us, pray, and then we'll jump into the sermon. So if you would, you can look along with me. 1 Timothy 3 verses 8, 9, and 10. Scripture reads, Deacons, likewise, must be dignified not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Well, on the text goes, and we'll look at more to come, but that is God's word. Let's look to him together in prayer. Father, this morning... We want to understand the church that your son is building through his blood-bought saints, 
and empowered by his spirit. And so, Lord, we want to be attentive and be worshipers and good hearers of your word to receive and believe all that you would say. And Lord, before we turn to your word, we want to give a special word of thanks, Lord, on this coming Memorial Day for those who have given their lives to give us the freedoms that we enjoy in this land. And more than anything, the freedom to gather freely and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life, no one coming to the Father except through him. So Lord, we thank you for those who have, who have given their lives to help us be here with freedom. And Lord, as we open your word, make us attentive now, we pray, such that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, and all of God's people said, amen. I want to think through a few different churches with you. Maybe some of you have experienced something along these lines, and maybe because of this weekend you're visiting and you're in a church like this, or you've seen one or more, but... One church organizes their leadership structure with a a solo senior pastor who is accountable to the deacon board. And these deacons serve like the house of representatives to keep the pastor in check and not uncommonly also to keep the pastor humble. This type of deacon board is often made up of successful businessmen who wield a lot of power and influence in the community and the church But my question is, that polity, that church structure, solo senior pastor with a deacon board above him, ruling the church made up of businessmen, is that the structure and is that the attitude that Jesus envisions for deacons in his church? Another church reads the Bible. They come to 1 Timothy 3. And they see that churches are supposed to have deacons, and so they slap the title of deacon on anyone doing anything in the church. And in doing so, well-intentioned, the office of deacon loses any real meaning, largely because this church doesn't really understand the purposes of deacons. Is that what Jesus wants? A cloud of vagary to just give everyone a title who does something. Still yet another church treats the office of deacon as a stepping stone for other ministry, especially becoming an elder. This view often unintentionally undercuts, devalues, and confuses the roles of deacons in the church. But is that how we are to view deacons? Kind of a um, sub-office that leads to greater offices or greater purposes. And yet still other churches have no deacons at all on the one hand, and yet on the other hand, they have unspoken expectations that the elders visit all the sick, visit all the homebound, all the hurting, all the wayward, all the destitute, that the elders solve all the problems, solve all the conflicts in the church, the pastors and elders keep the books and the grounds clean, do all the counseling, and are on every other committee that exists. Is that Jesus' plan? For elders and no need of deacons, it's a choose-it-if-you-want-it office. More examples can be multiplied of how churches have um, expressed or did not express the office of deacon. But for our purposes, in this series, Ecclesia, Features of a Faithful Church, the question stands, what are biblical deacons? 
And how do biblical deacons contribute to faithful churches? And so this links to other topics that we've looked at in this series. We've looked at members of a church holding the keys of the kingdom together to vet and affirm baptisms and the Lord's Supper and church discipline. Then we shifted our attention to the role of elders in the church and the role of preaching and now the role of deacons. And one thing I said about elders is that if we get the offices and roles wrong, we open ourselves up to all manner of potential error, unintentionally, being an unfaithful church. Faithfulness in the Bible is attentiveness to Christ's word. Our motives can be well-intended and our heart in the right place, but that does not excuse inattentiveness or disregard or lack of careful, careful thought for God's word and what Jesus expects of a local church. We are, by God's grace, blood-bought saints. God the Son became flesh for us, truly God and truly man, lived in our place, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the grave for our justification, ascended into heaven and poured out his spirit, not so that we can invent church because he cares deeply about us, but rather we could be attentive to what he says in his word about what it means to be us. And so that's where we're going. We're going to see that we need to be unbelievably overflowing with gratitude and thanksgiving for the amazing gift of biblical deacons. And so if you're taking notes this morning, the outline comes to us in four parts. Here they are. Point number one. Faithful deacons are qualified official facilitators of ministry. Faithful deacons are qualified official facilitators of ministry. And that's at our text at hand, 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 12. Then we will turn our attention to Acts 6. Verses 1 through 7. And for point number 2, we will see that faithful deacons protect, diffuse, unify, and mobilize the church. And then for point number 3, we'll turn our attention back to 1 Timothy 3. And we will see that faithful deacons gain great confidence in the faith. And then we will close our time with six ways we can respond to deacons in their ministry. That's where we're going this morning. If you would, point number one, 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 12, faithful deacons are qualified official facilitators of ministry. 1 Timothy 3, verse 8. Scripture reads, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain, They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. The women or their wives, there's a textual issue here, verse 11, likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. Faithful deacons are qualified, official facilitators of ministry. 
The first thing that we need to do, I just keep throwing out this word deacon. It's, it's in your Bible right there. You, you see it there in the beginning of verse 8, deacons likewise. But we need to talk about what the word means before we talk about what the office does, because then we can know what the office does based on what the word means. The word deacon is essentially a transliteration from the Greek, diakonos, and it means servant. So we need to talk about the idea of servant before we move forward. Importantly, in the Bible, servant is not a vague idea or cloudy word of independence like we treat it in our own culture. Um, if you run in Christian circles, if you've been part of a church for a long time, people will talk about service. In fact, this is a worship service, and we talk about service, but we treat these worship services as optional, and we also treat our in, uh, actions and interactions with the churches as optional. And so really what we do is we serve on our own terms as we feel like it. But in the Bible, servant, as I said, isn't cloudy idea. In the Bible, to deacon... Or to serve is always tied to getting something done at the behest of a superior, as one Greek dictionary defines it. Another Greek dictionary defines the idea of deacon or service as a term to be understood as one who executes a commission or a task. Why is this important for us to get this distinguishing factor? Because in our culture, even having crept into Christian circles, in our culture, service is about self-actualization and self-fulfillment if we feel like it. We serve on our own terms. So really, we're volunteers, not servants. We do what we feel when we feel like it in our culture. So philanthropy and other types of things oftentimes are done in a self-centered fashion to make us feel a certain way. In the Bible, service is about self-denial, not self-gratification. In the Bible, service is about self-denial for the sake of others, as Jesus says, taking up our crosses and following him. In the Bible, service is always and ultimately on behalf of Jesus. We are executing or doing his commands on behalf of Jesus, done practically and primarily for the church, which is Christ's body. That's an important distinction. So when a need arises in the church, the need is not ultimately first if I feel like it or if it's con convenient. Jesus expressed the ultimate inconvenience by incarnating himself and entering into and humbling himself, entering into our lives to die and rise for us with that towel around his waist and more. So the idea of deacon or servant is in the biblical definition of doing what our master and king commands with self-denial is where we must start when you talk about service in the church and the diaconal office. And we can't miss this biblical truth in the broadest sense because all Christians are called to deacon in service to Jesus. That word deacon, diakonos, is an elastic term. Sometimes it just refers to service and sometimes it refers to the office. So when it refers to service, for example, John 12, verse 26, Jesus says, and I'm just going to insert the diakonos word. He says, if 
Jesus says, if anyone deacons me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my deacon will be also. And if anyone deacons me, the Father will honor him. So all believers in the lowercase d sense are deacons of Christ, servants of Christ. And even Jesus himself in Mark 10, 45 said, Jesus said that he came not to be deaconed, but to deacon and to give his life as a ransom for many. So every single one of us who has bowed the knee to King Jesus are all in this sense lowercase d deacons in the service of Jesus, deaconing like Jesus, who is the true and greatest deacon. So if you want to know what deacons do and the heart that they have and the character they possess, you look first to Christ in his life, death, and resurrection as the ultimate and true deacon. And if you want to honor Jesus and display what Jesus is like in your life, then get to work serving others on Jesus' terms, self-denial, cross-bearing, not on your own terms as you feel like it. We are blood-bought saints, slaves of Christ. And yet, Jesus, in all his wisdom, has seen fit to give two offices of the church. Pastor elders and deacons. So among all of us who all lowercase d deacon, there are capital D deacons. There is an office of deacons. I just read of the qualifications here in 1 Timothy 3 that follow the office of the qualifications for elder overseers. But consider, for example, Philippians 1.1. Paul writes this letter, and listen to how he opens this letter. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. So Philippians is addressed to the whole church and the elders and the deacons. So for our purposes, a healthy, faithful church recognizes on the one hand that we are all servants of Christ, of our good master. But on the other hand, a faithful church recognizes two offices. Pastor, elder, overseers, which we look at the past few weeks, and this morning, the office of deacon. The office of elder, as we contrast the two, the office of elder is commissioned by Jesus to serve or deacon the church by leading in gospel proclamation. The office of deacon is commissioned to serve the church by facilitating gospel demonstration. Gospel proclamation, gospel demonstration. That is that we become the hands and feet doing the work of Christ, showing the effects of the gospel in our lives, in the lives of our community and beyond. Gospel proclamation, elders. Gospel demonstration, led by deacons. The pastors serve the church by equipping with the word. The deacons serve the church by coordinating tangible ministry with the word. Pastors equip with the word. Deacons coordinate ministry of the word. So again, if Jesus is the head and pastor elders are the mouth, 
Deacons are the hands and feet to put the rest of the body to work. Building off of 1 Corinthians 12. Every Christian is called to deacon, but not every Christian will hold the formal office of deacon. And that's an implication here in 1 Timothy 3 of these character qualifications that I read a few moments ago. If you glance up in your Bible, you see that verses 1 through 7, Paul is laying out the qualifications for elder overseers. And then he moves to deacons in verses 8 through 13. And what's remarkable about the qualifications for elders and the qualifications for deacons, what's remarkable about them is how unremarkable they are. What does that mean? Both character lists of overseers and deacons are almost synonymous. They're basically identical, except elders are also charged with oversight of the church and the ability to teach the word. But the reason I say unremarkable is because these qualifications for elders and for deacons, these qualifications are unremarkable because they're the character traits we all are supposed to possess. Every Christian, all of us, is to be growing more and more in these Christ likenesses. In fact, nearly all the qualifications, the character qualifications for overseers and deacons, can be laid out in Ephesians chapters 3, 4, and 5. I think we have a, a chart to bring up for this just so that you can see briefly that the idea that when we see an elder must not be double-tongued, addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain, holding the mystery of the faith, faithful in marriage, managing children, gaining great confidence in the faith, all of those things, you can take a picture of the screen, all of those things are laid out there, you can see in that right-hand column, Across the book of Ephesians. That's why I say it's unremarkable for both elders and deacons. Because all of us, by God's grace and the ministry of the Spirit, are to be conformed further into the image of the likeness of Christ. But here's what I want you to see. Character matters. So when we think about faithful churches installing faithful deacons... We need to know what Jesus thinks. Here's what Jesus thinks. Character matters because the Christian life is about increasingly putting off the old self and putting on Jesus. Who, by the way, put a towel around his waist to wash the disciples' feet and died to give us eternal life. So what I want you to see in this list, or as you glance in your Bibles at overseers and deacons... The most important qualification for elders and for deacons is who they are in Christ before what they can do in Christ. Let me say that again. The most important qualification for elders and deacons is who they are in Christ before it's what they can do for Christ. In the Bible, character is always primary. Competency is always secondary. Why am I saying this? Because we live in a culture that prides competency without regard to character. Case in point, politics. Case in point, the last 20 years of public falls of high-profile pastors in the church. 
But Jesus cares about our character. Now, these are not lists of perfection. There is no perfect Christian. We will not be perfected or glorified until we enter into glory and, and, and receive our new bodies and more. But it is to say that deacons are to have a measure of biblical maturity and biblical character such that you know Jesus better by knowing them more. Character is primary, competency is secondary. But don't miss here that competency doesn't matter. It absolutely does. So if an elder is characterized as mismanaging his oversight of the church or mishandling the word of God, if a deacon or deaconess is not competent in their areas of service to the church, they shouldn't be in the office until they grow in those areas. Nevertheless, what we see about how unremarkable these qualifications are in that sense, a teachable Christian with good character always trumps an unteachable Christian with Fortune 500 competency and capacity. We must look at the heart of the men and women who are deacons and deaconesses before we look at their skill sets. And so often we look at the outward surface, the outward looks of the man or the woman. We look at their skill sets and resume without looking at character. But where does God look? The heart. The heart. So we must then look at character. One other item before we move on from this first point, which is the longest. One other item to notice is that both elders and deacons are spoken of in the plural. So the expectation of Christ is that local churches would have multiple elders and multiple deacons. But one thing scripture never does is set a number of how many deacons or how many elders a church should have. It's just plural. You build on top of that, Ephesians 4 is explicit that Jesus gifts Pastors to the church, pastor elders. First Peter 4 is implicit that God gifts deacons or servants to the church. So if the offices of elder and deacon are gifts of God to the local church, we should not presume upon the Lord to set a number as how many we think he should give us. We can pray for a certain number of elders. We can pray for a certain number of deacons, but we can't presume to set numbers. What I just said has implications for our constitution members. We can pray for a certain number of elders and deacons. I would like us to have more of both. But in this season, we have exactly who we think the Lord wants us to have. So on this first point, what we see is that faithful deacons in a church isn't based on skill set. It's based on character. And more than that, not only are we all called to be deacons, but we need capital D deacons to deacon us in our deaconing of Christ. We need servants to serve us as we serve others. And so not only are faithful deacons qualified, they are an office and they are facilitators of ministry, which we'll see here in this next point. Faithful deacons set a model for us to imitate when it comes to gospel demonstration. Faithful deacons live out self-denying, other-oriented, cross-bearing realities that show us the work and resurrection of Jesus. But we need to get more granular now. What do deacons 
do? What's their job description? We have character, but what do, we, what do they do? And for that, point number two, turn and join with me in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, point number two, what do deacons do? Faithful deacons protect, diffuse, unify, and mobilize the church. I'm going to show you how I get those from these verses. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, the Greeks, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve, the apostles, summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word to deacon tables, to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the deaconing of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenaeus and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. These they set before the apostles. They prayed, laid their hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Why are we looking at this text? What does this have to do with deacons? You heard me insert the Greek word there in your text as you're reading along about what the apostles were saying. But this passage is remarkable. If you do a study on the office of deacon or deaconess, one thing you come up with pretty quickly is how minimal scriptural content is of what deacons do when compared to elders. So pastor, elder, overseers are mentioned in nearly every single New Testament book, but deacons and deaconesses, not so much, not so much. Acts 6, however, this passage at hand, is widely considered the prototype text from which the offices and functions of elders and deacons grew out of. So Acts 6 is seminal. It is is the seed from which the plant of deaconing grows. And so we're looking to it to gain our cues of understanding if we want to be a faithful church, we need to have faithful deacons. And part of that includes understanding what deacons do and don't do and having a right job description for them and more. So we need to consider Acts chapter 6. One thing we will see in Acts 6 is how elastic the office of deacon is in terms of duties when it comes to local churches. And I want to give you the principle up front that we get from Acts 6. Here's the big idea from Acts 6. Deacons are needed... Anytime the ministry of the word is threatened, deacons are needed. Anytime the ministry of the word is threatened, 
and I say threatened by even very good and important things. So let's consider this passage. The church in Jerusalem has grown now to over 5,000 people and still growing. One of the ministries of the church was caring for widows who did not have relatives who could care for them. So the church cared for them. We read that there was a daily distribution of food and goods to these women, but a problem arose. Did you hear it in those first few verses? The Greek widows were being neglected while the Hebrew widows were not. That looks a lot like the sin of partiality or favoritism. And the text says in verse 1, so subtly a complaint arose. Right, So you have a 5,000 person plus church. This issue is going on with these widows. And then a complaint arises, arising all the way to the 12 apostles. Think about this for a moment. We could apply it to our church or other, think through other churches. Think about this moment. Ephesians chapter 2 teaches us that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus did something cataclysmic. To creation, namely making a new creation. When Jesus lived and died and rose, Jesus rose as new creation. And for all of us who believe in Jesus, who repent of our sins and renounce our sins, when Jesus rose from the grave, he rose inaugurating the new creation. And all of us who believe in Jesus become part of that new creation. Ephesians 2 uses the language of a new man in Christ. We are literally a new humanity. Jesus' gospel work in Ephesians 2 tore down all the dividing walls of humanity, especially the dividing wall of the old covenant between Jew and Gentile. And so this moment, you're reading this in your morning devotions, and you kind of blow by this passage, but if you pause and anchor yourself and think... This moment about feeding widows in the local church threatened to build back up the walls that Jesus tore down in his death and resurrection. This moment with widows was in danger of functionally undoing all of Jesus' gospel work and turning the good news back into bad news and separating humanity. In other words, in Acts 6, this this infant church, the first church, 5,000 people, the unity of the church was at stake. The The fellow love of brothers and sisters for each other in Christ was at stake. The gospel witness of the church was at stake to the unbelieving world around them. Now, what would you expect to happen if you were writing this story? If you were there and you're looking down and God tapped you on the shoulder and asked you to solve this problem, what would you expect? If the brand new church was threatening to bite and devour and tear itself apart, I think that if you're like me, you'd expect to say, Pastor, apostles, fix it. Emergency. Bat phone. Signal in the sky. Elders, go take care of this. 
That's what I would think would happen. I would, I would think that we'd be sitting at the elder table as brothers thinking, oh, there's this crisis. Our widows aren't being cared for. Guys, we need to go solve this problem. Pray, solve. What do the apostles do in this text? They say something unbelievably shocking to my ears. Verse 2, the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to deacon tables. If you just pause there. Oh, 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 oh. I won't move anymore during the rest of the sermon. I can't move my hands now or preach. If we pause here, we see the apostles' calculations that there was an even greater threat to the church than this looming threat of division. The greater threat to the church was giving up preaching the word, the only thing that could ultimately solve this problem that they had. The apostles even attach a moral imperative, implying it would be wrong. It would be wrong. In Jesus' eyes, so they say, it is not right for us to go solve this problem ourselves. Meaning the church should agree. Yes, apostles, it's not right to give up the preaching of the word of God. That means that the church should guard the ministry of the word above all things. We've seen that the past weeks. If there's nothing else in the church, there's to be the proclamation of all of Christ from all of Scripture. But this fracture line has the potential to rip through the church such that they bite and devour one another to death. What are they to do? Verse 3, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. You can see that Paul would later develop this in 1 Timothy 3 of those character qualifications. Verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to the prayer and ministry, deaconing of the word. So picking seven men of good character and competency pleased the church. The apostles appoint them. These men served or deaconed the tables instead of the apostles. And most likely these proto-deacons facilitated the ministry of the widows by overseeing the task of uh, marshalling other believers. So it's not that these seven men deaconed the tables for a multitude of widows. They probably most likely built teams that they oversaw to do that work as well. So not only does this text in Acts 6 describe and delineate duties of gospel proclamation and gospel demonstration, it also shows us that an important, as important as feeding widows is, the diaconal ministry serves to diffuse problems on the one hand and create unity on the other hand. That is an important takeaway. These first deacons guarded the primacy of the ministry of the word they protected the church by diffusing and unifying. And implicitly, they mobilized the church to be doers of the word and not hearers only. That's why we praise God for deacons. And that's why faithful deacons are so necessary. 
as one author has called them, they are shock absorbers in the church. They are word protectors. They are problem anticipators, problem solvers, and unifiers. Deacons are the unsung heroes and hidden brothers and sisters who behind the scenes keep us us and together. A major grace gift of Jesus to the church are faithful deacons who view their task as both freeing up the elders to do word ministry and keeping us filled with brotherly love for one another. The principle of this passage is that deacons are needed anytime the ministry of the word and prayer are threatened or diluted in the local church, even by the most monumental things such as widows being neglected along ethnic lines. This means also that deacons serve in the church as assistants to the elders, taking on tasks delegated and appointed by the elders, as we read in Acts 6. One author reflects on this passage. He says, make no mistake. The apostles did not delegate the problem because it wasn't important. The apostles delegated the problem because it was so important. But they had to calculate the cost. If we ourselves go solve this problem, we will neglect the primary thing Christ has called us to do in preaching the word. And that will ultimately hurt the church more than this moment. Both were needed. To think more broadly of what deacons do and to think more historically. Remember, this: the question here is, what then do faithful deacons do? And I'm arguing from Acts 6, anything that threatens the word. So, by way of a brief historical survey... One historian notes, in the first few hundred years of the church, here's what deacons did. He says, deacons visited martyrs who were in prison. Deacons clothed and buried the dead. Deacons looked after the excommunicated with the hope of restoring them. Deacons provided the needs of widows and orphans. Deacons visited the sick and those who were otherwise in distress. In a plague that struck Alexandria, Egypt in the year 259, deacons were described by an eyewitness as those who, quote, visited the sick fearlessly, ministered to them continually, and died with them most joyfully. What I want you to see from that historic example above and Acts 6 at hand, deacon ministry is largely and historically People ministry. Deacon ministry, biblically and historically, is largely people ministry. Long-term care of members in need. Coordinated and carried out by the deacons in in contact with the elders. I want to reiterate this point because the long historic list I just read is often viewed as only the work of the pastors and elders. But like the problem in Acts 6, when very good and very necessary things threaten the ministry and unity of the church, more deacons are needed. So deacon work facilitates people work. Deacon work mobilizes the church to do the work. So praise God Thank you, Jesus, for the deacons that he has gifted us. 
Caleb for missions, Laura for women's ministry, David for facilities, Jeff for administration and tech, not to mention former elders such as Preston with scouts, Gary with men's ministry, Alan with evangelism, and behind them are teams of you who serve. And that's not even to mention those who are in deacon-like roles, but don't bear the title, working with kids and youth and security and helps and Caroline, sound, visual media, library, pastry ministries, and more. That all serve behind the scenes to serve and equip us. So what do deacons do? Deacons do anything that threatens the ministry of the word in the church. And many times, that's long-term care for people in need. Which leads to point number three. The points are getting shorter. You're welcome. Point number three. Faithful deacons gain great confidence in the faith. Faithful deacons gain great confidence in the faith. Back to 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 9 and 10 and 13. Listen to these verses. They, the deacons, must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience... And let them be tested first, then let them serve as deacons, if they prove themselves blameless. Verse 13, for those who serve well as deacons, listen to this, gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Deacons are not teachers of the word formally. But they are to be competent theologians and know their Bibles well. They are, verse 9, to hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Deacons, just like all of us, need to grasp basic theology. What's the gospel? What is a Christian? What is a church? And what does a church do? And more. And part of this is because deacon ministry... Especially if it involves those who are sick and hurting and downtrodden. A deacon will be called upon as a Christian to minister the word of Christ in the midst of suffering and confusion. You see, deacons are dispensers of God's grace. They embody Jesus to those who are having a hard time seeing Jesus. Deacons are like those who give a cup of cold water to a man parched by sorrow and doubt. And this is tied to verse 13. Those who serve well as deacons gain great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Here's something I said to us three years ago. When a deacon or deaconess experiences the blessing of being used by Jesus to unify and serve Jesus' church, in the depths of their hearts they know what an honor and joy it is to be used As an instrument in the hands of the Redeemer. But there is another reward for deacons. Great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. When you live in the trenches of ministry. You get a front row seat to the redeeming and reconciling power of the gospel. You get a first hand account that Jesus really is living. Jesus really is active. Jesus really is restoring people's lives. Jesus really is building them further into the image of himself. Jesus' word really is powerful. And therefore, deacons gain great confidence that the gospel is actually true. 
It really is the power of God for salvation. Jesus really did die to redeem sinners. He really did rise from the grave. Jesus really did pour out his spirit with the Father. The Holy Spirit is powerful to give grace in the face of sin, strength and suffering and joy in Jesus. That's part of the great confidence in the faith. I think many of you can attest, whether you're a deacon or not, that when you, when you denied yourself and stepped out to lowercase d, deacon the church, and put a towel around your waist, bore your cross, from handing out bulletins, to teaching Sunday school, to taking out the trash, to everything in between. When you stepped out to serve the church, you began to gain great confidence in your faith. Brothers and sisters, there's a point here. Some of you may be weaker in the faith and not have much confidence because you're not serving the church. Of which we were all called to do, which is to serve Christ. When you serve as a deacon, you get a unique seat seeing the gospel proven true. Which leads to the fourth and final point. Six ways to respond to deacons in their ministry. These points are going to come up on the slide. You can take a picture when all six come up. Six ways to respond to deacons in their ministry. This might sound abstract. You might be in a church that doesn't practice this. Uh, we as a church do, and more so, we have more growth to do. But what are six ways that we as a church should respond to Christ's teaching across his word? Number one, like elders, only install deacons with qualified character, proven skill sets, and who are unifiers of the church. Because what do we do as a church? To be a member of a church means that you are in a position to vote on installing elders, vote on installing deacons, to vote on more. So that means that we as a church bear responsibility that if we install unqualified men as elders, if we install unqualified men or women as deacons, and they haven't had a proven skill set. That's our responsibility as a church. So praise Jesus. He has given us that responsibility together to install only qualified deacons. That's the first way to respond. Number two. Based on 1 Timothy and Acts 6. We need to recognize as a church that deacons are a needs-based office. That functions like assistance to the elders. So deacons is not a permanent authoritative office. That's often the case in Southern Baptist churches, who, by the way, called elders deacons rather than elders as an allergic reaction to Presbyterian elders. But deacons are not to be confused as elders. And when you use the wrong titles for the wrong office, you get wrong job descriptions and things get sideways. So deacons are not a permanent office, nor are they an authoritative office to counterbalance the elders. Deacons and deacon-like ministries serve under the oversight of the elders and have delegated authority from the pastors. We need to understand the roles and relationships of the offices in the church. Number three, deacons, and please pay attention to this, deacons, like the elders, don't do ministry so the church doesn't have to. 
deacons facilitate and coordinate ministry so the church gets to. Do you catch that distinguishing feature? I want to say that again in case the font is too small. Deacons, like your pastor elders, don't do ministry so you don't have to. Deacons coordinate ministry so you get to. Thank you for saying amen. Another way to say this, and I like the way I I heard this said in an article. Elders lead ministry. Deacons facilitate ministry. The congregation does the ministry. Elders lead ministry. Deacons facilitate ministry. Congregation does ministry. A church must respond to the ministry opportunities presented to us. Do you? Lengthy pause. Conviction goes up. You've heard me say before that the Christian life comes with rolled up sleeves and a towel around its waist. And Jesus gifts pastor elders and deacons and us to one another so that we would be the hands and feet, body of Christ, the local expression, the body of Christ, to be a light to a lost and dying world and to help build one another up in love. What a joy it is to be a vital participant in the life of a local church. Point number four, six ways to respond to deacons in their ministry. I have a question for you. Should you pursue being a deacon? We need more. We need more deacons. Do you look at the landscape of our church and do you see or foresee areas where maybe the elders might be hindered from the ministry of the word? Do you see a gap in ministry in the church right now that maybe we can't see? Like a deacon of local outreach or more. Maybe the Lord is using a message like this to call you to be a formal deacon in the church. I invite you to pray about it and talk with one of the elders about that. Should you pursue being a deacon? Number five. Pray for and thank your deacons. Thank your deacons. Express gratitude to your deacons. If there lingers in your mind in any way that if you say something nice to another Christian, it's going to give them pride, that's satanic. Get rid of that idea. Our task is a ministry of encouragement, not discouragement. And as I said earlier, our deacons and deaconesses are the unsung heroes of the church, unifying us, serving us, making all of this happen and more. Praise God for deacons. Thank them. Ask what you can pray for. And then say, and how can I help you in your ministry? Thank deacons. Deacons labor hard behind the scenes, and they are doing us great gospel good. And not only should you look for ways to join them in their ministry, but express your gratitude for it. And finally, and most importantly of all the important things, is this. Recognize the love and ministry of Jesus Through your deacons. It's all always and ever about Jesus Christ. We are his bride. We are his body. We are his temple. 
and the ministry and offices that Jesus establishes in the church is his spirit working in us for us. So your pastors and elders, your deacons and one another, we're really just moons reflecting the light of the sun that is Christ and his glory. We're mirrors in whom you should see the face of Jesus. Recognize that when your deacons are deaconing, they are there to help you see and savor Jesus all the more. That when we look at the imperfections of your pastors and elders and the imperfections of your deacons, you're getting a foretaste and glimpse of what King Jesus is like, how he fiercely loves and builds his local church with his word and more. The officers of the church are gifts of God to bless and build you, to equip and serve you. The officers of the church should give you that imperfect but unique glimpse of what Jesus is like. And for our deacons, especially elders too, what Jesus was like on that night when he put the towel around his waist, washing the feet of the disciples. I think that I can say for all of your deacons, what would make them most happy and joyed in the Lord is if you, as you considered them and what they do for us, you said to them, I know Jesus better and appreciate him more for what you do for this body. Thank you. Praise God for deacons. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your gospel grace. We thank you, Jesus, that you have lived in our place, died on the cross for our sins, and rose for our being made right with you. Lord, we need to be strengthened by your grace continually. We need to meditate on your gospel perpetually. And we ask that in this place that you would do the ministry of your word, the deaconing of your word, to save the lost. Call back the wayward. Strengthen the hurting, clarify the confused, and build your church. To that end, Lord, Father, we commit this all into your hands through the priceless name of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.